Let's turn to the prophecy of Joel, Joel chapter 2. And uh, this is really part two of uh, what we're studying in verses 28 to 32. And as I said last time, that section of five verses is really one whole chapter in the Hebrew Bible. And that is significant because it tells us the importance of these five verses to the Jewish uh, scholars, to the scribes, the Pharisees, and the and, and those who put together the, the canon of, of Scripture. Uh, in reading it again, we find the great connection from the Hebrew Scriptures to the New Testament Scriptures. Not only in what we read in Joel 20, uh, 2, verses 28 to 32, but what we what we read in, in the book of Acts chapter 2, the, uh, the record of Peter preaching to the Jews on the feast of Pentecost in the temple and preaching Christ and him crucified. But using the opportunity to clarify what was going on that day, in Pente- uh, on, on the day of Pentecost, when 120 believers in in Yeshua, in Jesus, received this outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon them with uh, with, with cloven tongues of fire above their heads. And they began to speak with other tongues the glorious praises of of our God. And people thought that maybe uh, this group of people were kind of drunk that morning, but it was only 9 o'clock in the morning. and, And Peter told them, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet. And that being, that it shall come to pass. And what Peter said was in the last days. In our text, it says afterward. I'll read it in a second. The point is, we've, we've covered this last week, and I'm just going, I just want to quickly review the important connection between this passage with, with what Peter says. What Peter really points out, now, now we have to clarify, what Peter points out, is that what you are seeing is the power of the Holy Spirit that was described by Joel in his prophecy. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. But because he said in the last days, he said from the time of the coming of Christ until the time of the coming again of Christ, those are the last days. The Spirit is necessary in the last days and will be necessary until Jesus comes again. So with that in mind, we read it one more time, and then we'll get into the next section that we want to look at, which would be that, uh, those giftings of prophecy and dreams and visions. And it's not going to be weird, okay? If you had a dream last night, it's not going to be that weird. We hope. (laughs) And so the prophecy is, and it shall come to pass afterward, and remember the afterward. Afterward is, of course, after an imminent invasion, but in fact, it is the ultimate invasion or that that would be coming. It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon uh, the servants and upon the handmaids, in those days will I pour out my spirit. Stop for just a moment and notice that in the Old Testament prophecy, It says, upon the servants and upon the handmaids. It's different in the book of Acts, so we'll get to that in a moment. Verse 29, and also upon the servants and upon the handmaids, in those days will I pour out my spirit, and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. So, in our previous study last week, we focused our attention on the promise that in the last days, the Lord would pour out his Spirit upon all flesh. Now that's what it says. Men and women, young and old, Jew as well as Gentile. 
But then I made a distinction, <laughs> or at least I introduced a distinction. The distinction being believers, both Jewish and non-Jewish. And yet it would affect the many. It would be as if the Spirit is poured upon all flesh. Why? Because of that statement that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. And as Joel is quoted by Peter in Acts 2.21, that whoever or whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And as emphasized, this promise of the Spirit being poured out in the last days would not only fall upon those in Peter's time, but in our time as well, making it clear that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit would occur, notice, before the great and the terrible day of the Lord come, that being Joel chapter 2, verse 31. And, and how we need in the church today the Holy Spirit in these last days. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in the church today. Now, I understand that there are those who hold certain positions about the Holy Spirit that, that, is, that are based upon the corrections that the Apostle Paul made to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians about the abuses of the gifts of the Spirit, and, and he clarifies that. I'll talk a little bit about that a little later. But the fact of the matter is, we cannot limit the power of the Holy Spirit in the church. We need the Holy Spirit to know that there is a Christ. We need the Holy Spirit to be able to say that we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot say uh, that he is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. This is what the scripture says. Then we need the Holy Spirit to do what? To be a witness. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You shall be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. We need the Holy Spirit all, at all times. And we don't want to limit the Holy Spirit. We, by the way, we don't want to abuse the Spirit either. So we, we need to take hold of that thought of discerning the Spirit's to see that we are actually hearing clearly the one true Spirit of God that will be confirmed by the Word of God. This is the reason why Jesus said to the woman at the well that we who worship Him worship God in spirit and in truth. And we cannot separate those two things. For each confirm the other. So we, need the church, we in the church need the Holy Spirit in these last days. Now, as we continue on in our study of this passage, which I mentioned last time is, is chapter 3, and, and also mentioned it earlier, chapter 3 in the, Holy, uh, the Hebrew Scriptures, showing its importance uh, to the Jewish scholars. Our focus will now be in the giftings, the giftings mentioned in verses 28 and 29, the prophesying, the dreams, and the visions. Let's read it one more time. And it shall come to pass afterward, verse 28, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons. Now, please note the word your, your sons. Who's he speaking to? He's speaking to the Jews. He's speaking to Israel. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And by the way, notice, if you will, uh, it says, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. So, male, female, no distinction there. <laughs> there is some distinction, of course, in dreams and visions. But then once again, in verse 29, it says, and also upon the servants and upon the handmaids, upon the male and the female, who are servants or slaves, in those days will I pour out my spirit. Now, to best understand this, uh, the issues of this passage, it is wise for us to go back to the timing of these events because, as we have seen, the time that is designated is the afterward of verse 28. And again, and it shall come to pass afterward. What does that time mean, afterward? As is there a, a supporting reference to that? Well, let's go back to our previous study in Hosea. One book before Joel is the book of Hosea. And uh, in chapter 3, when you read this, take note of a word that you'll find in verse 5. 
Start in verse 4. It says, For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king. Now let me ask you a question. <coughs> Excuse me. When you consider Israel today, the nation of Israel, or what we call the state of Israel, that was uh, once again uh, brought into uh, worldwide focus because of uh, their recognition as a nation back in 1948. But you'll notice today that there is no king in Israel. So kind of consider the timing here. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king and without a prince and without a sacrifice, which is telling us they don't have a temple because if they had a temple, they'd be doing the sacrifices again. And this is one thing that they are desiring very much to do is to build a temple, the third temple. And by the way, if you keep up with what's happening in Israel, you realize there is now a new council of the Sanhedrin. There are 70 men who are are designated as the Sanhedrin. So they are without a king, without a prince, without a sacrifice, and without an image, and without an ephod, and without teraphim. Now, that doesn't mean that they don't have those things, because if you go to the Temple Institute in Israel, in Jerusalem today, you'll find that they've already constructed uh, an ephod, and they have also, uh, you know, the, 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 all the things that a, a high priest would wear. It's all designed and made, and we've seen it. But notice verse 5, the, ver the very first verse, because this is what we're getting to. We'll, we can talk about that other stuff later. But afterward, there's that word, afterward, shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. Now, I have to ask you a question. Are they right now seeking David their king? Because who is David their king? Messiah. It is Messiah. Now they want Messiah to come. We've, we've been in Israel at times when, when they have these big, huge yellow, yellow banners that say, you know, and it, it, it says in Hebrew, uh, but it, it says, come Messiah. You know, they're, they're expecting the Messiah to come at any moment. They're looking for Messiah. They're not looking for Jesus, even though Jesus is their Messiah. But they want Messiah to come. But notice this. Afterward shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. In the latter days. We're getting closer and closer to that time. There, there's no doubt about it. There's no doubt that as we look at the other prophecies, uh, for example, the prophecies of Ezekiel, which we studied recently, the fact that uh, the nations that are uh, building alliances against Israel are already in, the, in that alliance. Russia, Turkey, Iran. Those are the three main ones. We talk about it all the time, but it's scriptural. It's what we see in Ezekiel 38. So what both prophets now are pointing out, that's Hosea and Joel, are the latter days for the nation of Israel, which cover both the period we know as the day of the Lord, the tribulation period, the seven-year tribulation period that is called the day of the Lord, and the thousand-year reign of Christ that follows that period. Because that is when they are going to be seeking David, their king. Because they know that David, their king, who is, of course, the descendant of David, which is Jesus himself, will be sitting on the throne in the temple on Mount Zion in a new, whole new setting. In Jesus' messianic temple, not the third temple that they want to construct today to start. That, that third temple, by the way, is going to be the Antichrist temple. So don't, don't put a lot of eggs in your basket when it comes to that temple, you know. Keep your eyes on what's going to happen because they are going to build that third temple. The Bible says it's clear. Because who's going to desecrate that third temple halfway through the seven-year period of time? The Antichrist. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Okay, so this is why we must compare Scripture with Scripture. We must compare Isaiah chapter 2 with Peter's comment in Acts chapter 2. 
So let's go to Isaiah chapter 2. And I'm going to read verses 2 through 5. And verse 2 is, is clear because of what he says about the last days. Isaiah 2 verses 2 through 5 says, And it shall come to pass in the last days. So are we getting the time frame? Do we know what we're, what we're looking at? We're still looking for the last, the last of the last days, right? Um, what did we talk about last week? We talked about the latter days, the last days, and the last time. Remember, day, time, and hour. And, and these are distinctions, but they're the same time. It's just that it's getting us closer to the very end, that last hour. So it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. What are we talking about? The millennial kingdom. We're talking about the millennial reign of Christ, the thousand year reign of Christ that comes after the seven year period of tribulation. And notice verse 3, And many people shall go and say, Come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Verse 4. And he shall judge among the nations. <coughs> Is he judging the nations today? Not yet. There are certain uh, scattered, uh, isolated judgments on nations. We sometimes receive some of those judgments in, in, the, in, in the states here. Take, for example, and I, I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, about three weeks ago, and we were talking about, about the, the state of Virginia and that, that uh, governor who talks about infanticide. I mean, he talks about a, a baby being born and then, you know, let, letting the, 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 the mother and the doctors talk to see if she wants to keep that baby or not, even though it's already born, and being kept comfortable. That's, I mean, that's not insane. That's, that's criminal. Well, it's insanely criminal. And what did we do? We looked at the news and there's that governor being, you know, <laughs> brought out that he was in blackface or he was might have been in, in a KKK, you know, robe. And then, and then so, the, 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 you know, the, the lieutenant governor is supposed to come up and, you know, if, if, if he happens to resign, then the lieutenant governor has what? Uh, a little bit of a problem with certain uh, relations and with people. And then, of course, the attorney general would then be the next one up in line. But he also has some of the problems that the governor had. That's judgment, folks. See, it's just an isolated incident. But it, it's, it's telling people, folks, when you tell others that life isn't important and that children aren't important like that, I'm, I'm going to let you. I'm, I'm going to let you. You know, stew in your in your sin for a bit. That's judgment, folks. Any way you cut it, it's not a great judgment. I mean, you know, judgment would have been hey, this cloud with lightning bolts. You know, that would have been final judgment for some folks. But you understand what we're saying. The revealing of these things uh, is a it's a is a judgment of the Lord. He shall judge many nations among the nations, which means he's going to judge the nations. This is what happens at the end, after the seven years of tribulation, and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares. That is the language of the millennial kingdom. And their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come ye and let us walk in the light of the Lord. So we have that picture, this wonderful grand picture of the millennial kingdom right here in, in Isaiah chapter 2. But then notice, tie that together with what Paul, I'm sorry, what Peter says in Acts chapter 2 verse 17, when he says, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. In the last days. And once again, we, we have to bring these time frames together. Now, there are certain truths that are implied in our text. First, the fact that God will pour out his spirit comes from the analogy of rain that is mentioned in Joel chapter 2, verse 23. So if you just go up, if you're still in Joel, go up to chapter 2, verse 23, 
And notice what it says. We read this a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain, and the latter rain in the first month. So that is an analogy then when he says, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon you of a rain. And a, and a lot of people, you know, in, in, uh, in times past have, have, have been a part of something called a latter rain movement. You know, they, they're talking about, well, the Lord is pouring out his spirit now upon all flesh. And, but, uh, you know, it's a, it's a Pentecostal movement uh, that uh, seems to sometimes tends, uh, tend to go a little bit further uh, outside of the bounds of scripture uh, the, you know the things that they do according to what they believe the spirit is giving them uh, cause to do but in any event the latter rain is, is really that analogy with this outpouring of the spirit secondly the pouring out of the Holy Spirit is clearly from above it is from God himself I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh I will pour out my spirit God is pouring out his spirit so we know then that the source of the Spirit that's being poured out is from God and from God himself. And then thirdly, the Holy Spirit is given freely and given in abundance. It isn't just a little outpouring. Remember I said last week that there were a few incidents in, in the scripture where uh, the Lord uh, put the Spirit upon certain people. Moses was one. And in fact, Moses was given the Spirit of God, and then when, when Moses needed help, he took of the Spirit that Moses had and gave it to 70 men. We'll get to that in just a moment, because I'm going to use uh, that as an example here for, for something. But, um, but now he's pouring out his Spirit upon all flesh. And it says, as the text says, to be upon all flesh, making it universal in its character and in its scope notwithstanding the distinctions that we saw last time. And that is that all Israel is surely included. All of Israel is included in all flesh. And that is what is meant. None of the differences mentioned. Age, because it says young and old. Sex, sons and daughters. By the way, only sons and daughters. Okay, just got to make sure that's clear. So age, young and old, sex, sons and daughters, or even positions, servants and handmaids, will hinder the outpouring of the gift of the Holy Spirit. So when we deal then with the gifts of prophecy, dreams, and visions, as we're doing tonight, we can discover through the research of other commentators and scholars that there is no recorded case in the Hebrew Scriptures or the Old Testament where the gift of prophecy was given to a slave. And I say that because it does tell us that the Spirit will be poured out upon the servants and handmaids. And those are just nice, a nice way of, of calling them slaves. And it will happen in verse 29 of our text. Also be upon the servants and upon the handmaids will I pour out my Spirit. But in the last days, the tender longing of Moses would be appreciated and realized. I mentioned that, that time that, that God said, I'm going to take of, of the spirit that I gave Moses, and I'm going to put it upon 70 men in the camp. And if you remember, there was actually two, two men that were outside of the camp that had the spirit. And somebody found out about it, and they went and told Joshua. And Joshua came to, the, to, to Moses and said, Hey, there's two people outside of the camp that, that say they have the Spirit. And they're doing things, you know, like the other ones are doing. But they're outside of the camp. And so Joshua brings it, uh, brings it to, to uh, Moses. And, and this is what he said. This is what Moses said. Look at Numbers eleven twenty nine. He said... Unto, unto Joshua, enviest thou for my sake? Would God that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Would that all of his people would prophesy, would be prophets and have the spirit of God on them. That was Moses' dream. That was Moses' desire, not dream, but his desire that all of God's people 
would have a spirit. That's a great desire, isn't it? I would desire that everyone that comes to this, this, uh, this fellowship here would have the, 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 the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon them. That'd be wonderful. It doesn't, it doesn't make us a club that's elite or better than anybody else. You know what it does? It humbles us. Because the power is not our own. The power is not of our flesh. The power is not of our intellect. The power is of God placed upon an earthen vessel like me and you. And man, are we sometimes earthen. Well, not sometimes. We're pretty earthen all the time. Now we want to walk right with the Lord. and We want to be spiritual. We, we, because that's, that's our desire every morning. We want to serve the Lord. We don't, we don't wake up in the morning thinking, you know, I'm, I'm tired of being a Christian today. I think I'll be a you know, sinner today. I'll just, I'll just go out and sin. I'll just go out and do whatever I want. We, we, don't, we don't think that way. But we go out sometimes, and for whatever reason or whatever happens, you know, some circumstance, all of a sudden we may say something or do something, then we realize by the conviction of the Holy Spirit, wow, that was not right. <laughs> I shouldn't have done that. You know, that, that kind of thing. What was wrong with me? It happens to us, doesn't it? Why? Because we're in flesh. We want to serve the Lord. Paul talks about it in the book of Romans. The things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. The need for me to be filled with the Spirit of God. The need for all of us. That was, that was Moses' desire. And what is also very interesting and significant is that in the next chapter of the book of Numbers in chapter 12 when the Lord is rebuking Miriam and Aaron for speaking against Moses and challenging his authority supposedly because he had married a Cushite woman an Ethiopian woman that the Lord told them listen to Numbers chapter 12 verses 6 through 9 he's rebuking the sister and brother of, of Moses and he said hear now my words God speaking to them if there be a prophet among you there's prophecy. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision. There's vision. And will speak unto him in a dream. There's the three modes that are mentioned in our text in Joel. Prophecy, visions, and dreams. And God is saying this. If there be a prophet among you, and I, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision, and will speak unto him in a dream, my servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all mine house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth. In other words, I'm going to speak directly to him, face to face, even apparently and not in dark speeches. And the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. I will let him see me. And I'll just give you a little hint that if he saw him, he more than likely saw the face of Jesus. The similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Why weren't you afraid to speak against the one that I anointed? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them and he departed. You know what happened to Miriam? She became a leprous person a leper she became a leper now <clears throat> of course she was healed but the fact of the matter is God's anger was brought out and one reason for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the sons and the daughters the young and the old with all their various giftings the prophecy the dreams the visions was so that they would become as one commentator put it the organs of divine revelation they were to be the very life of divine revelation, the very organs of divine revelation, such as the organ of speech, the organ that would bring forth the sounds of God's revelation. And that, by the way, to all nations. We've talked about it very often in the book of Isaiah that God called the Jewish people to proclaim the God of creation. And when they failed by disobeying and being rebellious to God, then that, in, in essence, was taken from them for a time. But as we see that the end approaching, 
the Lord is going to bring them back to that particular calling. And we've already seen some of those statements already in the texts that we've, that we've looked at. Let's look at the dreams here, the dreams. Uh, the phrase where it says, old men shall dream dreams, the, the, the words for dreams there, halam halom, in the, in the Hebrew is, is dream dreams. Halam halom. And it was attributed to the old men, more than likely in accordance with their years. Okay, I know what you're thinking. Old men just take too many naps and they just need their time, you know, to rejuvenate a little bit. So the more they do that, the more they dream. And God will speak to them in those dreams, right? Yeah, because, you know, when you think about the visions, which is the, the word uh, in the Hebrew, hitzayon, uh, the, the visions were attributed to the young men since, the, since those visions adapt more to livelier minds. You know, the young men will see visions. The old men are just like, you know, with their CPAP machine and all that kind of stuff. Okay, anyway. Dreams, visions. All right, well, that's not, I don't know that that's true. <laughs> Just, well, no, but it is true, you know, the, the dreams of the old men because they were, you know, according to their years, the visions for the livelier minds, as it were. Now, now, these, <laughs> now these three modes or giftings, prophecy, dreams, and visions, are in Joel's prophecy and in Peter's interpretation, symbolic. They are symbolic of the full manifestation of the Lord revealed to all of his people, not only in miraculous gifts to some, but consider this, but by his indwelling spirit to all in the new covenant, in the New Testament as well. We, we need to understand this. I want you to consider something. Consider what Jesus says to his disciples before he goes to the cross. In John 14, verses 21 through 23, Jesus said to them, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and notice this, and will manifest myself to him. I will manifest, I will reveal myself to him. To those who love him and keep his commandments. Now Judas saith unto him, and by the way, this is not Judas Iscariot, but the other Judas, because remember, Judas Iscariot by now is gone from the eleven that are left. So Judas saith unto him, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? And Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. And my father will love him, and now notice this, and will come unto him and make our abode with him. We will make our home with the one who loves me and keeps my word. Now where are we going with all of this? Right into the next chapter of John, where Jesus said what? I am the vine. You are the branches. And that is dealing with abiding in Christ and Christ abiding in us. So that in John 15, verse 15, notice that he says to them, Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. I have manifested the Father unto you. I've manifested the creator unto you, which is himself and the Father. All through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that comes upon all who believe. This is why it's important to realize that this, this outpouring of the Spirit was upon all flesh. It was actively poured out upon Israel for the sake that they will need the Spirit of God in the last days, especially during the time of tribulation. 
But as Peter said to the, to the Jews on Pentecost, he says, yeah, but what you see, this is that which was spoken of by, by Joel, that it'll be poured upon all flesh. And then the references now are leading more to the understanding that Jew and Gentile in Christ will be filled with the Holy Spirit. So in Acts 16, verse 9, and in Acts 18, verse 9, the term that is used there, I'm going back to the issues of visions and dreams. So the next step is the vision. Uh, the word vision is used there, Acts 16, verse 9, and Acts 18, verse 9. The term used is vision, and while experienced at night is not a dream. There are differences. And in both cases, the Apostle Paul is the object of these visions. Acts chapter 16, verse 9, it says, In a vision, which is the word horama. By the way, horama, if you will, uh, y'all, uh, more than likely on your, on your phone, which is actually your camera as well, uh, everyone has uh, or should have, a, if you have one of these more fancy smartphones, uh, has, has a, a setting on your camera that says panorama. Panorama. You see, it's a vision. It just, it just describes what you see. Panorama. Pan meaning, of course, a full uh, scope of a vision. So a, a vision, the word is horama, appeared to Paul in the night. And there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. <laughs> a man crying out to Paul, saying, come here. We need you. We need the word of God. We want the word of God. We want Jesus. And this was in a vision. Two chapters later, Acts 18, verse 9, then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. He says, be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace. So God speaks to Paul in a vision where he, and it's the same word, horama, be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace. And you're probably wondering, that must be when Paul was young because he had a vision and not a dream. Well, that's possible. But there are no dreams mentioned, by the way. There are no dreams mentioned in the New Testament except for those which were given to Joseph, the husband of Mary, at the onset of the New Testament, which was before the full gospel had been given. After the full gospel has been given, we don't see any, any, any mentions of any specific dreams. But there's another one, too, mentioned. But notice that it is those given to the wife of Pilate. The wife of Pilate was a Gentile, and she got a dream. Let me, let me show you those differences between the dream and the vision. <laughs> In Matthew 1, verse 20, we're told, but while he thought on these things, speaking of Joseph, after the angel has told him what is going on, uh, behold, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream. Onar is the, is the word for dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. So that's not to say that Joseph was a very old man. <laughs> it's just, again, he got a dream, you know, because young people dream too, so that's okay. Matthew 2, verse 13, And when they were departed, behold, the, Lord, the angel of the Lord appeared, appeareth to Joseph in a dream, Onar again, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Now, just understand that dreams will come at night when we're asleep, you know, and, and, but they become vivid. They, they can become vivid if it comes from the Lord. They can also become very vivid if, if they're not from the Lord, and this is where you have to use discernment to say, you know, I wonder what that was all about. That was either the Lord, or that was the enemy, or that was the pizza I ate last night. You know, it could have been one of, of any of those number of things. Uh, but it, primarily in, in a dream because of, of being asleep. The vision, though, could be at night, but it was something that could be seen in, in more of a conscious state. And then in Matthew 27, verse 19, uh, the wife of uh, Pilate, when he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife said unto him, saying, Have nothing. Have thou nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things this day in a dream, Onar, because of him. So that's uh, the times that we see the word dream used uh, in scripture. But again, remember when they, were, when they were done, because from the time of the gospel of Jesus Christ 
but we, we don't see the usage of, of these visions and dreams until we're told that in the book of Acts that your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, and it will be coming when the outpouring of the Holy Spirit comes afterward or in the last days. So the prophesying that takes place in the New Testament, getting now to prophecy, I kind of went the other direction, went backwards. But the prophesying that takes place in the New Testament is, is applied to all that speak under the light of the Holy Spirit, that speak under the light of the Holy Spirit and that not only foretell events. Because sometimes we think that when we use the word prophecy or prophesying, that we're only dealing with saying things that are yet to come, uh, making statements that, that pertain to uh, something that is yet to happen. That is part of prophecy, but that's only one part. There's another part. That is called foretelling. You foretell what is yet to come. But there's another aspect of prophecy, and that is forthtelling. That is saying, in a sense, what the prophet said. Thus saith the Lord. The Lord said, your rebellion, your disobedience, is going to bring judgment upon you. Repent and come back to me. That is a prophecy. That is a prophetic statement. It, because it does kind of let you know what's going to happen if you don't do something. So there's foretelling, which is saying uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a person coming on the scene named the Antichrist. When he comes, this is how you'll know that he's here. But of course, if you're a, a believer in Jesus Christ, you won't be here when he comes. Praise the Lord for that. But the point is that uh, that's foretelling. Foretelling is, listen, if, if you want to go home with Jesus, then you need to get right with him. And, and so it's, uh, thus saith the Lord, give your heart to the Lord, repent of your sins, come back, come to Christ or come back to Christ, but come to Jesus. Um, that's just a s small example. Concerning the gifts of the Spirit, we are told by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 11, they're very little uh, verses, so there's a, a number of them, but that it doesn't take long to go through this. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. So there are diversities of gifts, meaning there are different gifts, but it's the same Spirit that gives the gifts. And there are differences of administrations, how these gifts are administered, but the same Lord. Who administers the gifts? And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. So diversities of of gifts, uh, differences of administration, diversities of operations. They're diverse in the way that they're operated and where they are, where they're used, what, what they're used uh, for. <laughs> Excuse me. But the manifestation of the Spirit, and there's the word manifestation, the revealing of, the making clear of before all men. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Now, that statement in itself is telling me that every gift that the, is given by God has a profit to it. We, it is a profitable thing if we are given the Spirit of God and if we're given the gifts of the Spirit of God. They're profitable to us. They help us. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. Now, I'm not going to go into details about all of these, but, but these are the ones that are very very important when it comes to the church today, the word of wisdom. I would pray, and I pray before we come out here, that, that God would speak his wisdom through the teaching of his word. There is wisdom in what we're doing in, in hearing it, listening. To another is given the word of knowledge by the same spirit. A word of knowledge, now, you know, we can try to define that as, as being, saying something that is going to uh, spark up some thought in a person's mind and heart that says, oh, he's speaking to me. That's possible, and I'm not, and, and, I, and that's probable, of course, because that is, that happens a lot. I, I, I can be here on a Sunday morning or on a Wednesday night, and I can take a scripture, and then I'll say something or use an example, and then all of a sudden somebody's out, somebody out here with you is saying, how did he know that about me? I, I've been approached about that way. You know, how did you know that about me? I said, I don't know anything. I'm just telling you what God's telling me to say, and sometimes, you know, it's not written down in my notes, I'm, but I just say share the scripture, 
And then I'm given an example. I, I pray by the Holy Spirit. And if that's the way he's doing, that's a word of knowledge. Uh, to another faith by the same spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same spirit, to another the working of miracles, and notice to another prophecy, the gift of prophecy. That of being forthtelling and foretelling. Forthtelling and, and, and being able to, to give uh, with authority the word of God. Because again, to worship God, must be, he must be worshiped in spirit and in truth. Can't be one or the other. It has to be both together. To another, uh, diverse kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. Uh, vocal gifts in this church, which some people say do not and should not uh, happen anymore in the church. Well, I don't know. I know people that speak in tongues and, and, they're, they're, and, they, and they speak uh, uh, words, you know, that not just blabbing, you know, syllables. They're, they're saying things and, and they may not know what they're saying, but that's the reason for the next gift, which is to interpret the tongue. But all that said, all these worketh that one and the same self-same spirit, dividing to every man severally as, as he will. So God gives all the gifts to the people in the church that he wants them to have. And what we should do is use them for the glory of Christ. So every true believer in Jesus Christ has been called a priest and a minister of our God. This is one reason why we need the gifts of the spirit, because we've been called to, to be priests. We've been called to be ministers of our God. And I want you to bear with me as this appears solely to mean Israel, but it isn't solely to mean Israel. So bear with me. To be called a priest and a minister of our God is in Scripture, Isaiah 61, verse 6. It says, But you shall be named the priests of the Lord. Men shall call you the ministers of our God. You shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory shall you boast yourselves. Well, that particular verse is based on Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6. So again, you know, it's going back to saying, you know, the priests and the ministers of our God are those who are in the, uh, the house of Israel. Notice Exodus 19, verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So kings and priests literally is translated in scripture a kingdom of priests. So that's, that's what Israel is supposed to be. It's a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, a set apart nation, set apart from all the other nations of the world. It's not to be like any other nation, not to take on any characteristics of any other nations. They are supposed to be a nation that is separated unto the God of Israel. And these are the words which thou shall speak unto the children of Israel. Okay, so now from here, follow along with me. Go back to Isaiah chapter 66 and look at verse 21. It says, And I will also take of them for priests and for Levites, saith the Lord. Well, it's interesting, but when you read the last chapter of the book of Isaiah, you realize that we're talking about the millennial kingdom. And therefore, who's involved in the millennial kingdom? But not only the Jews, but every believer, whether Jew or Gentile. And then you, you read 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 in the New Testament. And you read here that it says, You also as lively stones or living stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. So those who are believers in Jesus Christ are no different in that very respect that we are to be a, priest, a priesthood unto God. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. A spiritual sacrifice. The sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. Being living sacrifices like it says in Romans chapter 12. Be a living sacrifice unto the Lord. Paul begged the people to listen to him. I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God that you become living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto, the, unto God, which is your reasonable service of worship. <coughs> and then there's Revelation chapter 1 verse 6. And he has made us, John is saying this, of, of the believer in Jesus Christ. He has made us kings and priests. 
Unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. He has made us kings and priests. And once again, now in the Greek, this says a kingdom of priests. We are to be a kingdom of priests who offer ourselves as living sacrifices unto God, who offer spiritual sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving unto our God. It is not exclusive to the Jewish people, even though they are supposed to be ones who are the priests unto God and minister unto the Lord. And what is minister? Serving. It is serving God. And then in Revelation chapter 5, verse 10, while Jesus is preparing to open the seals, it says that he has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And he's not speaking exclusively of the Jewish people again, but of every believer that has come to Christ because of that outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Because we cannot say that Jesus Christ is Lord without the Holy Spirit. And when we do say that he is Lord, then because of the power of the Holy Spirit, he will fill us with what we need to be good witnesses for Jesus Christ. To be testifiers of, of the things of God in our hometown, in, Jerusalem, in our Jerusalem, in our Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. Is it any wonder then how confident in the spirit that Peter was when he preached at the temple at Pentecost and he quoted the Joel prophecy. Is it any wonder how confident he was in the spirit? Verse 16 of Acts chapter 2. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days. That was given to him by the Holy Spirit. Because the prophecy in Joel said very clearly afterwards. <coughs> now we know what afterwards means. Saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters. Stop. That is specific to the Jews, isn't it? Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants, notice this, in Joel it says the servants and the handmaids. Here he says my servants and my handmaidens. My doulos. That's servants. That's slaves. A doulos is a slave. Both male and female. Servants and handmaidens. On my servants. That's a very specific statement to say. These are my. My servants. My handmaidens. I will pour out in those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy well that's you and me that's you and me if you're a believer in Jesus Christ today the slave did not become a member of the family until after so many years and when they were supposed to be released, but they didn't want to leave because they had a good master, they would go and they would take their ear and put it upon the, uh, the doorpost of the house and the master would take an awl and, and put a hole in the ear and blood would, would touch the, the doorpost and that hole would be open to put a, 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 a ring, an earring. That earring said that he is a part of the family. Bond slave of Jesus Christ. A bond slave of the home. But for us it is a bond slave of Jesus Christ. In other words, we've been set free from the bondage of sin and death. The slavery of sin and death. My servants, my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy. 
So in substantiating the text in verse 29 of Joel's prophecy that slaves will also receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, I hope you remember that issue of my servants and my handmaidens. It is only by becoming the Lord's bond slaves that we are spiritually free and partake of the same spirit as the other members of the body of Christ. I want you to consider 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 20 through 24. 1 Corinthians 7, 20 through 24 says, Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he is called. Art thou called being a servant? Care not for it. But if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. For he that is called in the Lord being a servant is the Lord's free man. If you're called a servant, you're free. If you're the Lord's servant, you're free. Isn't that great to know? Likewise, also he that is called being free is Christ's servant. And then he says, you are bought with a price. Be not ye the servants of men. Brethren, let every man wherein he is called therein abide with God. Abide with God and he will abide in you. That's John chapter 15. Read it again. What Jesus said about abiding, us abiding in the vine. He's the vine, we're the branches. Our whole life comes from the life, blood of Jesus Christ. Galatians 3 verses 28 and 29 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all <coughs> one in Christ, Jesus. <coughs> and if you be Christ's, then are you Abraham's seed. And heirs according to the promise. But did you notice? Neither Jew nor Greek, neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ. And then Colossians 3 verse 11 says, Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond, nor free, but Christ is all and in all. What matters more than Jesus? Nothing. Nothing matters more than Jesus. And then in the one chapter letter to a man named Philemon, Paul says in verse 16, to him, don't look at Onesimus, this slave that may have offended you, that may have robbed from you, that may have done some terrible things to you. I've run into him in prison and he's come to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. So with that in mind, this is what he tells Philemon. He says, not now as a servant. Don't look at him as a servant any longer, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. He may have been your slave, but he's now your brother in Christ. What a beautiful picture that is. The reason why it's important to realize that the slave or the servant and the handmaid will also receive the Spirit. Because there is nothing that keeps anyone from knowing the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. And that strength comes from Jesus himself. So in our next study, we'll examine the outpouring of the Holy Spirit as it pertains to the nation of Israel in the last days, especially during the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And with that, we'll conclude our study in chapter 2. Not tonight, maybe next time. Or if you want, in the Hebrew Scriptures, chapter 3 of Joel's prophecy. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, thank you so much to give us once again the opportunity to read and to study your word. We thank you for all that you do and all that you've done and all that you continue to do. I pray, Father, that you will strengthen our hearts, strengthen our minds, strengthen, Lord, our wherewithal to do the things that will honor and to bless you. We ask, Father, that you will strengthen, Lord, our, our resolve to follow you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to serve you 
with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to witness to this world with everything that is within us the wonderful grace, amazing grace and mercy of our God and of our Christ. We ask, Lord, these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.